a place of prayer. We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much to gain by soothsaying. She followed Paul and us crying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul was annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I charge you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs which it is not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stalks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's fetters were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out and said, Men, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once with all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced with all his household that he had believed in God. Glory to you, Lord, glory to you. At 
that time as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be made manifest in him. We must work the works of him who sent me, while it is day night comes when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As he said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and anointed the man's eyes with the clay, saying to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. And neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He said, I am the man. They said to him, Then how are your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he now? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. The Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? There was a division among them, so they again said to the blind man, What do you say about him? Since he opened your eyes, he said he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess him to be Christ, he must be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give God the praise, we know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner or not I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. 
The man answered, Why, this is a marvel. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you, would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who speaks to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is risen. So this gospel passage and the last two, that of the paralytic and the Samaritan woman, have one thing, if not more things, but specifically one thing in common. And that is that Jesus goes out of his way intentionally to encounter each of the centerpieces of these stories. The paralytic has been laying there almost four decades with no one to help him. Jesus makes a beeline to him, knowing exactly where he's at, where he's been, and what he needs. The Samaritan woman is from the middle of Palestine and Jews would normally go totally out of their way to avoid that area and to avoid those people because they were considered unclean. Jesus makes a beeline to this Samaritan woman. He knows where she has been. He knows exactly where she's at and where her heart is at and he wants to encounter her to change her life. And the same is true of this man. This man who was born blind. It seems in the Gospel of John that he just happens to pass by him. But that is not the case. He knew that this man was born blind. Literally without the organs of eyes. He had the sockets, the place where the eyes should have been, but somehow in his development they did not form in his mother's womb. And so he had never seen, never seen light, never seen people's faces, did not know what he looked like, did not know what we all take for granted every single day of our lives as we go out and we see the beauty of God's creation. None of that did he ever have the chance to see. 
But Jesus knew that this encounter would change his life and would change hundreds, if not thousands, if not millions of lives from that point going forward. Now it's interesting that as soon as Jesus encounters him with his disciples, his disciples say, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Remember that when Jesus encountered the paralytic, and after he had healed him, and commanded him to take up his pallet and go, he said, don't sin anymore. And so there was a connection between what this man had done and his paralysis. But in this case, Jesus says, neither he sinned nor did his parents sin that he was born blind. That's not the case here. He was allowed to be born blind that the glory of God might be made manifest in him and through him and through his blindness. So in a a sense, he's saying, disciples, get ready. You are about to see the reason why this man was allowed to be born blind. I want to read from this beautiful book by St. Nikolai Velomirovich. It contains some of his homilies on the Orthodox ecclesiastical year. And he says the following at the very beginning of his homily on this particular gospel passage. He says, The Lord did not work wonders in order to receive praise from men. Does any one of us go to a hospital or among the insane, the deaf and dumb or the leprous to receive their praise? Does a shepherd heal his sheep for them to bleat his praise? The Lord performed wonders solely in order to give his compassionate help to those in helpless need and through this to show men that God in his compassion and love has revealed himself among us. Notice what happens. Jesus says that while it is still day, we must do the works that the Father has sent us to do. He includes himself and he includes all of us. And then he says something that is very germane to this situation. He says, I am the light of the world. Now I want you to keep in mind that we take that for granted. I am the light of the world. But what do you think went through this blind man's uh, his thoughts? I have never seen light. I've heard about it. What does it look like? Jesus said it intentionally. And then he did something. He spit on the ground. From his mouth came spittle. And he mixed it with the clay of the earth, forming a paste. And then he approached the blind man who could not see him, could not see what he was doing, had no idea. Can you imagine the vulnerability in that situation? And he applied it to those empty sockets. And then he said, Now go to the pool of Siloam, which by the way means sent. He sent him to this pool. And he says, Go wash. What would you do in that situation? 
you don't know this person. Is he assaulting me? Is he violating me? Is he doing something weird to me? What authority does he have? Would I argue? Would I say, you're, you're crazy, you're out of your mind. What good is that going to do? Who do you think you are? Why did you come to me? These are just a few of the thoughts that probably would enter our mind. But this is not what this blind man did. He got up. I don't know if he was led or if he knew the way. But he went in obedience. Faith leads to obedience. And obedience leads to faith. They feed on one another. They can be in a very positive way circular and build to a point of illumination. And he literally was exercising blind obedience. And he went to the pool of Siloam. Some of the fathers, when they comment on this, say that when he washed the paste off, there were eyes and he could see. Others say that when the water touched the paste, it became his eyes. But all of the fathers say that this should remind us of when God created Adam. When God created Adam, He did two things. First, He took the clay, the dust of the earth, and He formed it into a body. And then He breathed His Spirit into that body, giving it a soul and vivifying it, giving it life. The soul entering the body creates the totality of the human person. Now I want you to take a step back and see what Jesus did. He took the clay and from His mouth came forth divine grace in the form of His spit. He combined those two together and He put them over the empty sockets and He told Him to go do something. And when He was obedient, that clay and that spittle filled with divine grace formed what did not form in his mother's womb. Showing that, him, showing that this man is the God-man. That he is the creator. That he is the sustainer. That he is the light of the world. And he gives light to all of us in darkness. Now this man didn't know any of this. And so when all of these bystanders were watching, among them were the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees. Now we really shouldn't blame the Pharisees or give them too bad of a rap. They were stuck. Are we ever stuck? Can we sometimes not see beyond what we have experienced? Does not our convictions filter everything that we see and everything that we hear? And does it not form our perceptions and our understandings of things? This was what was going on with the Pharisees. They were so stuck that all they saw was Jesus breaking the law on the Sabbath. He was doing work. And they could not see beyond it. 
Never mind, a man born blind had just received his sight. And they grabbed that man because they were less interested in him than the one who broke the law because the one who broke the law was a direct threat to them. And so they interrogated him. And as they interrogated him, it actually benefited him because it gave him a chance to process what had just happened out loud to describe it, to see what had happened for what it really is. Isn't that what happens to us also when we take thoughts that are spiraling and cycling within us or we think, take memories of our past sins that are really weighing us down but we really can't understand them for what they are. We can't really see them for what they are. But when we say them to another person out loud, and God is present, and the grace of God illumines that and makes it more tangible and concrete before us, then and only then do we really begin to see it for what it is. And then we're able to move and get unstuck ourselves. And that's what was happening to this man who was blind who could now see. He got to bear witness to what God had done to him making it more and more real to him. And even when they persecuted him, even though he didn't know how this man did it, even though he doesn't know who he is, he says, no one can do this unless they are from God. Do you want to become his disciples as well? You see how guileless he was? Well, they kicked him out of the temple. They excommunicated him. And then they got his parents. And his parents were afraid of these Jewish leaders because they didn't want to receive the same fate and sentence that he received. And so they said, he's of age, ask him. We know that he was born blind. We know that he's our son. We can see that he can see. How this happened and who did it, we don't know. Ask him. Leave us alone. We are innocent. And then Jesus, hearing that this man had been excommunicated, seeks him out even more intensely the second time. He finds him, and then he seals the deal. He says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, I have no idea who he is. And then he says, he who is speaking to you is he. Just almost the same words he said to the Samaritan woman. After he had told her all that he ever did. All that she had ever did. And what does he do? He says, I believe. And he prostrates himself before this man who also is God and worships him. Lord, I believe. So what I wanted to close with you and talk about a little bit is the concept of blindness. Certainly there's physical blindness and we see that in this man. And we know people either who were born blind, who had an accident and became blind, or had a disease or sickness or virus that caused them to lose their sight. So we understand that, even though we ourselves don't experience it, hopefully. 
But there is also spiritual blindness. And there are reasons for spiritual blindness. One reason would be bad theology. A misunderstanding of who God is. And how that can shape how we look at ourselves, how we look at the world, how we look at life and death and the afterlife. And it affects very directly how we navigate our way through our our life. Spiritual blindness comes from bad theology. Did this man be born blind because of his sin? That wasn't true. Was it because of his parents' sins? That wasn't true. But what if we said that's the truth and we operated that way and it affected the way that we lived and, uh, and related to that man? If Christ had believed that, he would never have gone up to him. And how about the Pharisees? I said they were stuck. The way that they were so rigid and black and white and a slave to legality and rules, it lent them unable to get out of that place that they were stuck. They had put God in a box. And if God acted any differently than the way they expected Him to, it couldn't be God. Could we be guilty of that? Do I put God in a box? What if God makes me feel uncomfortable? What if He asks me out of my own comfort zone? What happened to Peter when the Lord bid him to come to him on the water? He was fine as long as he had his focus on Jesus. But the moment he noticed the wind and the waves, he was a goner. What happens to us? when we get out of our comfort zone, when God acts in a way that surprises us, do we get stuck? How about those who fail to see the mighty works of God and recognize them as such? I want to read again from St. Nikolai, a beautiful passage where he talks about this. Listen very carefully. This is spiritual blindness if we are not able to see the works of God in our everyday life and give Him credit, glory, thanksgiving and allow it to change our life. Blessed are they in whom the works of God are made manifest, who feel them and use them for their soul's salvation. Blessed is the poor man whose God's, whom God's mercy makes rich and famous, and he fills this mercy of God's with thanksgiving. Blessed is the hopeless invalid to whom God restores health, and he lifts up his heart to God as his unlooked-for and only benefactor. Oh, how the works of God are seen every day in every one of us. O joy for all those to whom through these works God opens spiritual sight to see the vision of God. Woe to all those who with hands overflowing with God's gifts turn their backs on Him and go blindly on following their own dark and vainglorious paths. The works of God are manifested in all of us every single day. For God is with us all our days on earth. 
These works of God in us are for the salvation of each and every one of us as individuals. But the works of God in the man born blind were not just for his salvation, but for the salvation of many. This too is spiritual blindness if we do not see in our everyday, ordinary lives the extraordinary presence of God. Finally, what about the parents? Fear can also render us spiritually blind. If they had not been afraid, but they had been totally focused on this miracle and sign of the presence of God, and they couldn't have cared less about any earthly ramifications, they had gloried in what had happened to their son, they would have been there for that second encounter. And they too would have said, we believe and fall down and worshipped Him also. More than the Lord caring about our bodies, he cares about, he cares about the condition of our souls. For He knows that our souls are immortal, and it is the condition of the soul that will determine our eternal destination. He loves us. He has compassion on us. He even allows us sometimes to carry a cross, like this man who was born blind. But not without purpose. Never without purpose. His purpose is to bring us to the knowledge and the illumination here and here of who He truly is, that we may say, Lord, we believe and fall down and worship Him, and then be inheritors of eternal life with Him, a life of love, of being loved, of blessedness, of being blessed, of joy, of peace, and of total fulfillment. Every human need that we have being fulfilled forever and ever, growing in that satiation that has no end. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be praying to overcome the spiritual blindness that we all suffer from for whatever reason and keep growing. For Christ is indeed the light of the world and He wants to illumine us in an ever-increasing way so that we can experience a love that wells up in us, as he said to the Samaritan woman, like living water that we may never thirst again. Amen.